If you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, and we're going to be in that chapter this morning. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 7. We're going to be through this whole chapter this morning, but I'm going to read from verse 7 to begin. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent remarking, the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise you because in your name alone we have forgiveness of our sin and eternal life. The promise that death is not the end but we look forward to resurrection and the promise that as we live, you will provide us through the power of your spirit, the wisdom and the strength to do your will. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can draw near to you and have access to your presence. Make us wise now as we study your word. Father, I pray that our minds would be sharp, not fuzzy, and that you would remove from us the distractions and the fears and doubts that follow us through this week. Help us to understand your word, move in our hearts to believe it, Father, and in our hands and feet to apply it to our lives. We thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may have seen a video that went viral on the internet last fall. It was made by a boy who calls himself Kid President. Uh, A lot of y'all saw the Kid President video. Last I checked, somewhere around 12 million people had viewed this video, passed it around, found inspiration in this video. In fact, to the degree that Kid President was taken on as an inspirer for TED. TED is a series of online inspirational talks. People love this kid and what he has to say. Now, I'm not going to show the video this morning. But I thought what I would do is just read to you most of the transcript of the video that was so popular, because I want you really to absorb the wisdom in the video. All right, here we go. I think we all need a pep talk. The world needs you to so stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring. You're good or not. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a serial either. Well, it is a serial, and if life is a game, aren't we all on the same team? I mean, really, right. I'm on your team, you're on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose, you got a heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem, two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. And it hurt, man, really bad. 
Rocks, thorns, and glass. Not cool, Robert Frost. But what if there were really two paths? I want the one that leads to awesome. It's like the dude Journey said, don't stop believing unless your dream is stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going, keep going, keep going, and keep going. What if Michael Jordan had quit? Well, he didn't quit. He retired. Yeah, yes, he retired. Before that, in high school, what if he had quit and didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. I love Space Jam. What would be your Space Jam? What will you create to make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. If we can make every day better for each other, if we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it or dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything. I'm just a kid, but I know this. And everybody's duty is to give the world a reason to dance. So get to it. You've just been pep-talked. Create something that will make the world awesome. Play ball. All right. Now, a lot of y'all saw that video and loved it. In fact, I saw it and I loved it. It was cute. It was funny. It was interesting. But when I read the transcript, I go, what is he saying? All right. What actually is the substance of what he's advising me to do? Because if I knew how to be awesome, I'd already be awesome, right? All of us want to be awesome. If I knew what it meant to contribute something that would make the world dance, I would do it. And the reality is, as you really read it, it's cute, but it's a series of cliched advice that if you're trying to decide uh, what's my major going to be, it doesn't help you a whole lot, does it? If you're trying to decide whether you should ask a person out or not, it's not as helpful as talking to a friend or a parent, right? And yet, people passed it around and loved it, not just because it was funny and interesting and creative, but people actually took inspiration from it and said, wow, that's a philosophy of life, man. I love it. And the thing that struck me as I listened to it and as I read it is I thought, we are a people desperate for good advice, aren't we? We really want to know, we really want somebody to tell us which way we should go. You guys, in your life, every day, face series of decisions where you have one, two, three, four, five directions you could go. You have small decisions from what to eat for lunch. You have large decisions regarding what you're going to major in, where you're going to go with your life, how you're going to spend your time, what you're going to invest your money in. And we all desperately want advice. And we look to the craziest places sometimes. Um, I was reading an article this past week. It turns out that Seventeen Magazine decided to do a column on dating and good dating and relationship advice. And so they invited, of all people, Taylor Swift to give that advice. That's interesting because here's a person that has broken up with half of the male population in the country. Is that who I want giving me relationship advice? No, but people listen, right? Thank you guys. Yeah, that was rhetorical, but we're good. Okay. Is that who I want giving me relationship advice? No, we get advice from everywhere. How do you sort it all through? Think about just the advice you've probably gotten about dating, uh, even in the last year, if you're single. People tell you, look, You'll find it when you're not looking for it. How will I find it if I'm not looking for it, right? What does that mean? And then other people say, no, get out there. Get yourself out there and look for it. You go, which do I listen to? When it comes to career, some people say, you need to find a job that will make you happy. And other people say, no, you need to find a job that will make you rich. Other people say, find a job that will let you do something awesome, right? 
Uh, As Christians, we give each other advice. There's all kinds of spiritual cliches and platitudes and advice we throw around. Let go and let God. And we toss them at each other as if this is meaty advice. And you'll hear all kinds of advice. And the question is, how do I sort it out? How do I know if the advice of another person is the direction God is wanting me to go or it's just somebody's opinion? You and I are not the first people to face that question. And as we look at Acts 21, we actually see the Apostle Paul facing that question uh, throughout his ministry. People tell him where he ought to go, what he ought to do. You should go to this town, this city. You should preach to these people. You shouldn't go here. Sometimes Paul listens, sometimes he doesn't. How does he decide? In fact, sometimes the advice even comes in the form of a vision from God. How does he decide whether to listen? What we see in Acts 21 is a particular instance in which Paul is given some very specific advice, and yet he rejects it. And then he's given some other advice from another group of people, and he accepts it. And yet Paul seems resolute on the path that God has called him to, and he seems certain that this is the direction I should go. How does he sort out the good advice from the bad? How does he decide, this is when I need to listen to advice, and this is when I just need to follow the path that God has blazed for me, even if everybody else is telling me to do something different? That's what we're going to look at in Acts 21. The reality is that if you are given advice by a friend, by a mentor, by a parent, by a teacher, whoever it is, uh, you're wise to listen, especially if that person has your best interests at heart. But ultimately, you and I are held accountable before God for the decisions we make. So how do we make those decisions in light of all the conflicting advice in a way that honors God? We're going to look at a few principles of Paul's life that I think will illuminate that. All right, Acts chapter 21. I'm going to start now in verse 1. Luke writes, When we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, from there to Patara. Having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey, and while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. All right, the first thing that we see in the life of Paul is he sorts out this type of advice is this, right? Sometimes the majority is mistaken. Sometimes the majority is wrong. Let me set the stage for you with regard to Paul's journey here. If you remember, Paul is now on his third missionary journey. He's gone all the way back through Asia Minor. He made it all the way over to Greece and into Corinth. And now he's coming back. And remember, he stops near Ephesus. He says goodbye to these Ephesian men into whose lives he had poured for three years. And now he begins his trek back to Jerusalem. The plan, we find out in Romans chapter 15, the plan was after he had gone through Macedonia, through Philippi, through these regions, he had planned to go to Jerusalem because as he went through Asia Minor, he was gathering money for the poor church in Jerusalem. He was gathering an offering and his plan was to go to Jerusalem to preach the gospel to the Jews, but also to bring this money to them. 
to the church that was suffering. And so Paul is headed to Jerusalem. It tells us that he had planned to go there because the Spirit of God had directed him there. But here's what's interesting. At every stage of the journey, people tell him not to go. Every stage. And it's not non-Christians telling him not to go. It's his fellow Christians. So he comes over here to Tyre. All right, so Tyre is right up over here. Here's Jerusalem. He comes to Tyre and it says the Christians there, through the Spirit, were telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. He comes down to Caesarea, which we read before I prayed, and there's this uh, guy, Agabus, right? Paul is staying in a house full of prophets and prophetesses. Philip, the evangelist, has four daughters. All of them are prophetesses. And while they're there, this other prophet comes down, he takes Paul's belt, he ties up his hands and feet, and he says, "Uh, this is what's going to happen to the person who owns this belt, you, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem. The Jews are going to tie you up, they're going to arrest you, and they're going to carry you off. Immediately, everybody starts crying. They say, don't go, Paul. Don't go. Stay here. There's plenty of work to be done in other places. And Paul says, why are you weeping, breaking my heart? I'm ready to go and serve God, and even die if necessary. That's the commission I've been given. And in this case, the majority was wrong. The question is, how does Paul know that the majority is wrong? Particularly when a prophet gives him a vision. That would be pretty compelling to me. Somebody walks up and says, I've had a vision from God, and I know he's a prophet. How does Paul know? We're going to talk in a moment about Paul's priorities and how he makes this decision. But the key principle at the very beginning is this, that the majority is not always right. If you live your life based upon majority opinion, you will often, if not consistently, make the wrong decisions. Let me say that again. If you live your life based upon majority opinion, you will often, if not consistently, make the wrong decisions. All right, the majority is wrong all the time. Those of us who live in a country where leaders are elected by majority vote know that for a fact, right? The majority is not always right. Sometimes they are wrong. And even in Christian circles, it may be that people will tell you, don't go there, don't do that. You're going to risk your life. You're going to risk your ministry. You're going to risk your reputation if you do this. And they might all be wrong. I will never forget when I was in high school, uh, probably my senior year, we were sitting in a class and we had this teacher, this English teacher, who would leave the room uh, to go smoke and she would be gone for 30 minutes, right, at a time. I mean, just gone. And she would give us a worksheet or whatever. So one day we're sitting in class and some of us say, here's what we need to do. While she is gone, let's leave. Let's all leave. We're not going to leave the school. We are just going to go hide, in other places. And then we'll hide around the corner. I don't know how we plan to make this work, right? But we're going to hide. She's going to come back. And we just want to see her reaction when she comes back and her entire class is gone. So we began to talk about it. And everybody in the class said, yeah, let's do it. Everybody, even the good kids, right? Even the straight A kids are like, let's do it. All of us, except for one guy, one guy. I still remember his name was Chet. And Chet was one of those kids that wasn't always socially adept, but he had a very strong sense of conscience. And he said, nope, I'm not doing it. 
We're like, look, Chet, this, this is not a big deal, right? This is not going to go on your permanent record. You're not going to lose jobs or not be able to go to Harvard or whatever. Like, it's a joke. Let's do it. Nope. He would not budge. The whole class, 20 kids, begins yelling at Chet, right? I know. I feel sorry for him, too, in retrospect, <laughs> all right? He says, no, I will not. I will not. We could not convince him. And I remember at the time thinking, what is wrong with this person? Everybody in the class says, let's go. And he says, nope, I'm staying put. Now, in retrospect, Chet was right, right? It was a bad idea. It had bad idea written all over. I don't even know where we're going to go or hide. It's not like 20 people can go hide in the hall of a high school, right? He was right. We were wrong. But it doesn't always appear that way at the time. The majority of my family likes green beans, they're wrong, all right? <laughs> Green beans are horrible things, all right? They're gross, they're slimy, they're nasty, okay? If I went by the majority, I'd be eating them. I hate them, okay? The majority is not always correct, all right? And Paul recognizes that just because all of those around him say, don't do this, doesn't mean it's not right. Because Paul makes his decisions based upon where God is leading him. And in fact, he knows where God is leading him, partly because of his unique relationship with God, but largely because there are principles and priorities he has determined from the scripture for his life that drive him. And so when everybody around him says, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul says, no, I'm moving forward. What is that principle that allows Paul to be so resolute in the face of everybody else saying, you're making the wrong decision. What is that principle? Right here it is. Obedience to God outweighs human concerns. Obedience to God outweighs human concerns. Look again at verses 13 to 14. Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Do you get this? Paul understands that his driving mission in life is to preach the gospel. And as he preaches the gospel, he expects opposition. Now, here's what's going on. These men and women who have received these prophecies and these revelations that as Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be persecuted. Guess what? They were right about that. Where they went wrong was in their advice, their suggested course of action based upon the information they had been given from God. Their conclusion was, God says you're going to experience persecution, therefore don't go there. Paul says, that's the wrong conclusion. I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus Christ because my mission in life is to proclaim that Jesus died and rose again. And so I must obey God. See, he understood that his friends had his best interest at heart, didn't they? They didn't want him to get hurt. Nobody wants their friends to get hurt. Nobody wants their friends to experience loss or suffering or persecution. And so if you see a friend walking into suffering, you are likely to say, stop. And that's exactly what Paul's friends did. And what does Paul say? Your priorities for my life are not consistent 
with the priorities God has laid on my life. And even in his resolution to go to Jerusalem, this isn't only a test for Paul. This is a moment for the church to see the confidence that this man has in God and to recognize that God has called him to preach the gospel and therefore God has called them to preach the gospel. If you pursue Jesus Christ fully, you will have moments increasingly throughout your life where you find yourself out of step with the advice of others and you find yourself out of step with the values of the world around you, right? Because uh, the values of those around you are simply this, that people want you to remain safe, happy, healthy, well-off, comfortable. And it's not that those things are bad. It's that sometimes I think we pursue those things now at the expense of eternity. And Paul says, no, I want my reward when I see Jesus face to face. And so if you pursue Jesus, it may be that, and I've known student after student that said, I feel that it is my mission in life to preach the gospel. And so I'm going to go overseas for six weeks. And parents or friends begin to bear down and say, it's dangerous. You could get in a plane crash. You could get in trouble in another country. There's a lot of people right here who need to know Jesus. That's true. But if the advice is motivated out of a desire simply to keep us safe, then we have to go, what am I called to do? Now, if you're still under the direct authority of your parents, I I have to say this. I'm not talking about saying, no, I'm going to disobey my parents and walk out from under their authority. Instead, I'm saying as you become an adult, there will be those moments where you're making choices for your life that the world around you is going to say, look, You need to decide based on our values. The Jesus thing is okay on Sunday if you keep it well confined. Again, I've known many students that say, now I am going to engage with my church in preaching the gospel, in serving the church, in being in a Bible study so I can know Jesus. And family begins to say, you're letting this Jesus stuff take over a little too much. It might affect your career. It might affect your reputation. So dial it back. And as you study the word of God and you see the implications it has for your finances, your relationships, your career, you will find yourself out of step, not only with the values of your culture broadly, but sometimes even the values of the Christians around you. And Paul says, I have been called to preach Jesus Christ. You guys, no matter what you do for a living, you're called to preach Jesus Christ. And often doing so will land you in uncomfortable, awkward, difficult situations. And yet Paul is resolute to say obedience to God outweighs the concerns of men. We see this pop up in his writings throughout the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God will empower me for the task if he wants me to fulfill it. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, Paul says, look, I will suffer gladly. I will follow Jesus Christ, even if it means my death, because I have hope that in eternity, that's where I'm going to receive my reward. 
uh, one of my roommates from college, as we were about to graduate, made a decision uh, not to go into engineering, which was his degree, but to go overseas for one or two years and share Jesus. And man, his parents are Christians. His family, they're Christians. But he got so much pressure. What a waste of your time. Why would you take that degree and go overseas to share Jesus? And he had to speak to his family and say, because I feel God's called me to share the gospel. And in this case, the Spirit seems to be moving me to go overseas. He went over for more than a decade and saw men and women trust in Jesus because of his ministry and even his family come to a place of acceptance and even appreciation for the fact that he was sharing the gospel. I know of at least one man in my own family who lost a job because he chose to speak out and say, I believe that God created the world. I don't believe that the world was created by random chance. He happened to work in a scientific sort of career. Boss found a blog or an article he had written to that effect, said, if he believes that, he can't be a good scientist, let's lay him off. Put him at the top of the list. Paul says, obedience to God outweighs the concerns of people. And other people might say, you know, don't post that stuff out there. Dial it back. Paul says, no, I press forward because I know that my reward is in Jesus Christ. And as Paul does that, the beautiful thing that we see is that he is able to have this realization that God's plans are better than the schemes of people. God's plans are better than the schemes of people. I want to read verses 17 to 36. It's a kind of long passage, but follow with me, starting in verse 17. It says, after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore do this, that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them, purify yourself along with them, pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked. The people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. 
At once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting, away with him. And now you read that and you think, okay, you're saying God's plans are better than man's schemes here. And yet Paul is arrested and beaten and then taken into the custody of the Roman guard and imprisoned. How is that better? Sounds worse. The elders at Jerusalem had given Paul some advice. They'd said, look, just go make a token offering in the temple. Take these four guys who are under a vow, pay their expenses, they'll shave their heads. Everybody will go, Paul is a good law-abiding Jew. So Paul does it because Paul isn't against the law per se, and he's not opposed to letting people know that. Problem is, Their plan, their advice, still did not protect Paul from persecution. The Jews see him. They jump to a conclusion that he's got a Gentile there. They begin to beat him. They try to arrest him. The Romans step in. They arrest him and they carry him off. You go, how is this better? All right, here's the key. As you read through the rest of the book of Acts, what you see is that Paul's arrest allowed him to go where he had already planned on going, which was Rome. Except now he goes to Rome, and on his way, he shares the gospel with King Herod, with the governor, the Roman governor of Judea, and ultimately he appeals to Caesar himself, the emperor. And when the book of Acts ends, which we'll get to in a few weeks, Paul is waiting his trial before the emperor of the known world. Even though Paul experienced persecution, God used it to spread his message throughout the world. God's plans are always better. Uh, I was reading this week about some military researchers a number of years ago, decades ago. They were trying to make a rubber substitute. In other words, they had soldiers on the ground that needed rubber for their boots and rubber for their tires, and rubber was hard to come by and expensive. So they were trying to make a rubber substitute out of silicone. All right? And as they began to work with silicon, excuse me, silicon, they added boric acid to the silicon, and it didn't create a good rubber substitute, but it created something unique, something that bounced, something that you could shape and mold. You know it as silly putty. And I love that story because I picture these military scientists, right, in their lab coats, trying to come up with a military application. They go, what's this? This is awesome, right? And they spend the rest of their day tossing around silly putty, right? The slinky was invented in a very similar way. This guy was trying to create a control dial, sort of a a monitor for naval submarines, and he was testing tension springs, and he dropped one on the ground and saw it go like this. And he thought, I can make a toy from this deal. And for two years, he worked on the slinky. I mean, who needs dials and gauges for submarines anyway, right? The slinky is something you played with that I played with and we love, right? The plan didn't happen like they wanted, but the outcome, in my opinion, is better, right? I have so many memories of pulling those slinkies across the house with my brother, right? And going one, two, three, let go, right? And seeing that thing shoot across, 
and our younger brother ending up with scratches and cuts and all kinds of things from the slinky, right? We love it. You cannot always plan greatness. The same thing is true in the kingdom of God. Right, if Paul had written the plan, it wouldn't have ended like this. I, I wouldn't imagine. If his friends had written the plan, it wouldn't have ended like this. I think I'd like to see Paul arrested and beaten. Yeah, sounds good. Thumbs up. Right. No. And yet, God used this plan to strengthen Paul and to spread the gospel to kings and emperors. God's plans are better. So even when our friends, even when our family says, what you really need to seek is wealth, happiness, comfort, and stay away from trial. And you say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, and that may lead me straight into all those things. God's plan is infinitely better. And so as we look at the life of Paul, the question comes back, all right, how do we know whether to take advice when it's given to us? How do we know? All right, a few principles I see here in the life of Paul. How do we balance listening? Right? Because if somebody gives you advice and they are wise and experienced, I think we should listen. But we might not always take the advice. Right? How do we know? A few questions to ask yourself. First of all, who's giving the advice? Who is giving the advice? Is this just a matter of a few people pooling their ignorance together and coming up with a solution? Or is this a person who's walked with God, who knows him, who's experienced in trusting him, even in hardship, even in trial, and they say, this is the path to go? Listen carefully if that's the case. But If this is a person who says, no, my primary goal for your life is that you avoid all pain, Be very cautious about listening to that advice. Who is giving the advice? What is their motivation? In Paul's case, the motivation was to avoid suffering. Often I think that's the motivation in our life. Who is giving the advice? What is their motivation? Is the advice consistent with the word of God? First and foremost, before you ask your friends about dating, about your major, about career, about your money, about your time. Go to God's word. Live in it. Know it. And allow it to shape you. That is the reason that our goal here often is to get you into a group where you will learn to study the word of God because we believe that as you study the word of God, as you understand it, you will begin to be changed by it. And it will dramatically affect the way you think about your life. And so is the advice consistent with the word of God? Because the word of God is the source of all wisdom. And that was where Paul derived his wisdom ultimately. is to say, I know through God's spirit that Jesus died for sin and rose again. And that drives my life. And any advice that's inconsistent with that, I have to toss aside. Is the advice consistent with scripture and then Lastly, what are the expected consequences of each path? Is it wise? And you say, well, the expected consequences might be suffering and pain. Okay, but have you counted that cost? Right? Paul did, and he still pressed forward. Because he believed that God had called him to share the gospel. 
Wisdom comes from knowing God and knowing his word. If you don't know him this morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus for eternal life, you need to know that wisdom and relationship with God and life begins when you say, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died for my sin to bring me back to God and he rose again. And as we do that, then the Spirit of God moves into our heart. And if you're a Christian in here this morning, the Spirit of God lives in you and provides you with the wisdom to read, to understand his word. And then yes, to seek advice and community, but always to run it through the filter of God's word. Again, ultimately, you and I are held accountable for what we do with our resources. So yes, we need the body of Christ to provide us input and vice, but only as it's consistent with God's word, only as it is motivated by God's mission to proclaim his message to the world. And if we burn out or die in the task, we trust God's plans. And so we seek wisdom, but we pursue his mission. And that's what our lives are about. Paul knew that, and that's what God is calling us to do. So as we close, we're going to close with a couple of songs. And as we do, I, just, I want you to think through the major decisions you're making. Think through the advice that people are giving you, the books you're reading, the media you're taking in, the friends, the family who are talking to you. And here's what I want us to do as we sing is ask God, God, give me wisdom to sort out the good from the bad. Give me wisdom to pursue your path even when it's scary, even when it's difficult so that I can please you with my life. You have given us Jesus Christ. And our prayer is just exactly that, that we want to be like you through the power of your spirit, that we want to make our decisions, we want to plot our life's course not based upon the values of this world, but based upon the values of Jesus Christ. That we would, as Paul says, set all things behind us. The past, all of our desires for prestige or wealth or comfort, and instead pursue Jesus Christ wherever that may take us. Father, I pray that you would give us that strength. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.